So as long as all goes to plan, just a, a short talk today, hopefully shorter than my usual ones, um, on the topic of healing, because, uh, you know, as an organization, Lotus Negong, um, my, my school that I run, uh, plus me, myself, through various social media outlets, we receive a, a lot of messages every day, like tons, way too many to respond to all of them. Definitely, it's, it's impossible. To respond to all of the messages that we receive as a school would require three or four people working full-time, just answering queries. So it's, it's very difficult for us to stay on top of the amount of, of contact that we get. And I think that's a shame because uh, I'm really touched that people reach out to us as often as they do with their queries and their questions and, and even, um, you know, just their thanks as well for, for the material we put out there. So that's lovely. It's really cool. But, I, you know, as I say, it's just impossible for us to respond to even a, a fraction of the messages that we get because our admin staff is often caught up with uh, all of the other things that go on with running an organization the size of ours. So I want to really just look at one thing that's quite a common theme that comes up in the questions that we get. And this is really about healing or, or recovering from an injury or an illness, because this is one of the most common things that we're getting. And it doesn't matter what the injury or illness is. I mean, right now, long COVID seems to be something that people are mentioning um, a lot, a sort of post-viral symptoms and, and what have you. And then... Uh, all sorts of other things as well, lots of physical things, musculoskeletal things, back things people are struggling with, internal organ things with the kidneys, like all kinds of stuff people are contacting us about all the time. And as I said, it's impossible for us to answer all of them. But I, I do want to talk about one piece of advice with regards to, to healing, um, to recovering from something. Now, this piece of advice only really applies to people who have a, an injury or an illness that they've developed. This isn't necessarily something that would apply to somebody who was born with a condition or is disabled, sort of permanently disabled for, for whatever reason. This is more for somebody that has had an injury or, or had a sickness that's, that's lingering and causing problems for them. Now, it's a piece of advice that some people are not going to want to hear. And it's one of those topics that's kind of loaded and loaded with difficulty and controversy, <laughs> quite emotive. So it, it, there's always a decision whether you talk about it, but, uh, you know, whatever. You have to say what is useful, I think. And it kind of goes back to something that I was told when I was younger, when I was told by when I was a kid, and it was probably from my dad, I, I believe. My dad was always a, a man of sayings. He liked pithy little short sayings that, that kind of summed up his ideas, and many of them stuck with me, as I'm sure whatever your sayings or wisdom, whatever they were, were passed down to you within your family. And he used to say to me when I was a kid that he used to say, look, wounds, wounds are debilitating. So if you're wounded, you cannot you know, you cannot function properly. But if you're scarred, that's character building. And this was something that, you know, I didn't necessarily understand that well when I was younger, but as I've got older and I've developed my own scars, as we all have through life events, uh, emotional things, as well as, you know, physical injuries and, and sickness as well. As I've developed my own scars through life, I've come to understand just what that saying meant, that actually there is a great power, there is a great development to your strength, to your conviction, 
Um, there's a great lesson to be learned in life by essentially developing scars. And that's not to say that we should aim for them, definitely not. We shouldn't strive for them in some self-abusing way, definitely not. But if we are going to have scars, then, you know, when we carry them around, they, they formulate who we are. Now, sometimes people hear that and they don't like that idea. They think that a scar is a form of sort of debilitating trauma that's an issue. But I don't think it is. I don't agree. I think that the difference between a wound and a scar is what people need to understand. Now, obviously, a wound turns into a scar, but only when we let it. And I'm not talking a physical scar, scar tissue. I'm talking, obviously, on the level of your identity, on the level of your personality. So say, for example, I have, let's keep it simple, a physical injury. Okay? And, and obviously, a physical injury, maybe I've, I've damaged my back badly. And a physical injury can come with all kinds of psychological problems because it's very, well, it's horrible to be injured. It's difficult. You can't do anything. Everything is painful. You normally don't have much vitality. You don't have much energy. You know, like if you've ever been really injured, I'm sure you know just how emotionally it affects you, the depression, the kind of how down you feel in general. And certainly from the, the messages that we receive, as well as the people I talk to in person in my school and the people I talk to on a a medical basis as well. A physical injury, physical debilitation from injury to the knee or the shoulder or the hip or, or, or a post-viral thing or a sickness or a weakness in the, in the organs, you know, whatever. When they talk to you and, and you speak to people, you can tell that there's a great depression, a great darkness, a heaviness psychologically, especially if they've had this thing for a long time. Now, I would say that in the case of something like that, that's what I call a wound. It's still a wound. It's still open. It's still festering, if you like. <laughs> Not to make it too gross. <laughs> I don't want to make it too disgusting. Um, so, say you've, say you've had some kind of injury and, and maybe even like medically you can function again, but you're still hung up on it. You're still hung up on the pain and the discomfort still there. You've got the chronic leftover effects of that, that injury and it's affecting you mentally, then that's what I call a wound. So we need to learn how to transform those wounds into scars and that's the basis, not of the therapist, that's not the role of the, that's not the role of the doctor or anything. The doctor can help you with the condition but nine times out of ten it's, um, it's a choice we have to make to start that process of converting the wound to the scar. As horrible as that may, need, may, may be for some people to hear, it's definitely the truth. And certainly what I've seen through, you know, my whatever amount of experience I have, you know. So how we convert it from a wound into a scar? Well, obviously there's a, there's a medical process, you know, there's a <laughs> process of physical healing. But more, more than that, really, it's what we do with our mind. We have to set the intent to convert it from a wound to a scar. Now, a scar might still leave a lingering effect on you, of course, physically. There might be something left over. But what's more important is the psychological effect. And really, that psychological effect comes down to how much do you identify with that sickness, with that illness, with that injury. So many people that I meet that are struggling with long-term illnesses or long-term injuries, and please, I don't mean this as an insult or as a criticism because I've been there myself in, in things that I've suffered with traumas, I guess, that I've, I've hung on to, is many people are making that illness or making that injury or making that psychological imbalance a part of their identity. 
And if you make it a part of your identity, then that part of your mind that is developing some kind of strength from that identity, whether that illness is, you know, serious or not, you know, but it, if the mind starts to identify it, then it won't let go of it. So it will not let go of that injury, it won't let go of that sickness. It won't allow the body to heal, if nothing else. And even if the body does start to heal, it's amazing how many people will sort of retain the kind of psychological shadow of an injury, even once the injury's gone. So maybe that chronic hip injury's long left, but psychologically they're still creating a kind of somatic pain around it. And those are the kind of illnesses or injuries you know about because once you manage to make a change to your psychology, all the pain disappears. Now generally that's a marker that actually the physical injury was long gone. Your body shrugged that off five years ago, ten years ago. But because of the identification with the mind, you're, you were creating a kind of somatic version of that injury, somatic version of that illness. And I know many people who, who've suffered with that kind of thing. And I've had it myself. I had it with a, a rather severe injury to my neck and shoulder. And I remember at the time that the thinking, oh no, this is going to affect me forever. And actually my body managed to deal with it and process it. But because I'd identified with that injury on my, of my shoulder or my neck, it became a part of my story. You know, when I met people, this was my story. This was my crippling injury that I needed to tell them about. That the mind kind of created a, you know, a, a phantom version of that injury long after my body had learned to process it. So what I was doing psychologically was keeping that wound as a wound, not allowing it to transfer into a scar. So the trick was, you know, in my case, my body had fixed it long ago, you know, way, way, <laughs> long, long ago. And, and maybe it was back to 95, 98% of its functionality before the injury. And realistically, that's good enough. Who, whose body is ever perfect? So because it had become a part of my story, I was creating that sort of leftover illness and preventing myself from moving on. And there had to come a point where it was no longer a part of my identity. It was something I just had to accept. It was like, okay, that's, that's done. That's not useful to me anymore. I have to make a decision that I don't need that. There's a strength that I'm incorrectly feeling or, or there's a sense of strength that's not true. It's like a false strength, you know, that you develop around the identification with that illness or identification with injury, and that's what I was doing. But then once you actually <laughs> realize you don't require that and you drop that part of your story, it's not something you want to make a part of you, then in my case, the, the phantom of the injury, the somatic pay went away as well. And that's when I realized I'd healed long ago. At that stage, my injury converted from a wound to a scar, according to that saying I was telling you at the beginning, and then it became something that was useful. It became strengthening for me in a real way because I'd overcome an injury, I'd overcome something that was debilitating, and out of that, I learned that, okay, I'm not fragile, and I have the ability to heal, and I have the ability to overcome hurdles, and I don't need to feel like I have this thing that's going to be a problem for me. Now, of course, all those qualities, although I might be talking about them on a physical level, also apply to you psychologically. So once I learned I wasn't frail physically, hang on, that means I'm not frail mentally. And, and this kind of bolstered who I was. And then that way the scar became, and I put in commas because, you know, character building. I know that's like a, 
sort of boomer saying, isn't it? Puts hair on your chest and builds character or whatever. Um, but hopefully you get what I mean from the saying. So this doesn't just apply to physical injuries, it applies to psychological injuries as well. Now the danger is, although most people don't do this, most people do the opposite, but the danger is of course that you ignore or you just kind of let an injury or a psychological wound or a, or a medical problem just kind of fester and you don't do anything about it. And I'm not saying to do that, I'm not saying to ignore it, definitely not. So this is generally my rule with regards to an injury or an illness. It's like, okay, I ask myself this question, have I done everything I can possibly do at this current time to assist that particular thing? Have I explored the medical options? Have I taken the herbs that have been recommended? Have I done the exercise? Have I strengthened those muscles that might be around that injury? Have I done all of that stuff? If the answer is no, then, well, I do that stuff. <laughs> That's it. That's my first port of course, where I got to do those things. And then once I've done them, I've taken the medication, I've done the, the exercises, no matter what state I'm in, well, then there's nothing more I can do. And that's it. There's literally nothing more I can do. But once there's nothing more I can do, then I just get on with my life. And that's it. Now, of course, if there's an injury and you're getting on with your life might mean that you have to restrict your activity a little bit. Maybe I've put my back out, so I'm not going to lift anything. I'm not going to bend. I'm, I'm going to rest more. Maybe I'm exhausted. I'm going to rest. But that's considered part of the things you need to do. And then once you've done it, then that's it. There's no, no need to worry about it anymore. I'm, I'm not going to concern myself with something once I've done everything that I can do. And at that stage, my mind mentally goes on to something else. And to me, that's important. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying ignore the injury. Remember, I said do everything you possibly can for it. Do everything you possibly can for the sickness. Everything you can for the thing that's a problem for you. But then after that, get on with your life. If you have to take, for example, medication every morning, okay, you've taken your medication in the morning, there's nothing else you can do until tomorrow morning. So therefore, get on with your life. And maybe you have to adjust that life a little bit because of the problem or, or maybe a lot, but you then live your life to the fullest for the rest of that day until the next day when you do the things you have to do and then you move on. And that's it. If you take that attitude, see the difference is that your mind is now not reinforcing the kind of strength that you're getting from that illness. So see if you can catch yourself doing this. If I have an injury, for example, we'll stick with an injury rather than a sickness or a psychological thing. Let's stick with an injury because, you know, for many people that's what they have anyway and it's easier to understand. If I'm going into a physical place, maybe I'm walking into a gym or I'm walking into a sports club or I'm walking into a martial arts group, I will have to tell the teacher that I have this injury. Okay, they'll have to know so that they know there's a restriction of what I'm doing or if I walk into the gym I have to acknowledge, okay, it's not wise for me to do that exercise on that thing. Now in my mind, what I've done is I've let everybody know who needs to know. Then after that, I make sure that it doesn't come into my conversation. It just doesn't. I don't need to talk about it with everybody. So what I would say is, if you're someone who's trying to recover from an illness, and I know this is going to be an unpopular view, but watch yourself, catch yourself. Are you, every single person you meet, or everybody you interact with, even if it's not new people, might be the same people, are you dropping into the conversation about your illness all the time? If you're dro or your injury all the time. If you're dropping it into every conversation, every person you meet, you find you now habitually telling them about your injury when there's no need for them to know. They're not someone that it directly impacts upon or not someone that directly needs to know. 
then there's a high chance that you're making it a part of your identity because of course your identity is I'm telling this person they're now seeing me as that they respond to me as that and and don't don't you know don't underestimate the mind's ability to seek out affirmations if you like from sympathy from other people because there's a part of your mind that craves to be different from everybody else and for some people that difference might be success or it might be skill or something or, or whatever interesting career who knows or something people like to have something different about themselves don't they nobody really wants to be a part of the crowd not very often but your subconscious shall we say is quite is just as happy to take one of your weaknesses or your injuries or your illnesses one of your disabilities that you perceive in your mind and turn that into the thing that makes you different from other people so then it will cause you as a part of a sort of trick it's playing on you to verbalize or vocalize that injury to people at all times you find yourself sort of making sure you hold your back at opportune moments so people can see it because your subconscious is trying to make it a part of your identity and when you're doing that that's what's stopping a wound from converting into a scar you're keeping it open it's like you keep poking and poking and poking and poking at the identification with an injury and then it won't change and even if it does change you'll create a somatic version of it it will be there for years it's why so many people can have sickness or an injury and then you know they get treatment for it and then after a while they keep going back to the therapist and the therapist says well, I'm sorry everything's gone there's nothing there anymore I've done everything I can for you and and the scans show there's nothing there and the, the examination I'm showing shows there's nothing there and the palpation shows there's nothing there and then the patient goes yeah but I've got all this pain still well Sometimes the therapist has missed something, of course, because any blanket statement I can give you is never going to be a hard and fast rule. There will be exceptions. But in many, many cases, the reason there's nothing there that the therapist can find is because the patient has created an identity out of that sickness. So there is a somatic pain. There is a leftover in the body because the body wants to reinforce to you through that feedback loop of body-mind that, yes, indeed, you do have something debilitating. You do have a problem. So it's intent that changes it. So if I can maintain that attitude really of, look, I've done everything I possibly do and I must do everything I can do. Some people do not. You must do everything you can possibly do. And then after that, get on with your day. If you have that kind of attitude, <laughs> what starts to happen is you'll find that your body fixes things a lot quicker fixes itself of illnesses, fixes itself of injuries. It, it, it can recover a lot faster, the power of the mind. And at that stage, when you've overcome that injury, wound to a scar, overcome that sickness, that is when it becomes a learning process, you know. Like there's that whole thing, isn't there, that everything is visited upon us as a lesson. I don't think so. I don't think that's true. I don't think someone walking down a dark alley who's attacked I don't think that's a lesson to them or, or something like that. I don't believe that the universe is so cruel. But that doesn't mean we can't choose to make something into a lesson. You know, that's our choice. That's not some divine thing that's projected upon us necessarily. But if I've had a sickness or an injury or an illness and overcoming it enables me to learn a lesson, then that is something that's beneficial. And in that way, I've turned my debilitation into, into a lesson. That's a much healthier attitude. But a lesson will never become a lesson if that wound has still not been turned into a scar, which means you have to set the intent in order to not make this a part of your identity. Now, the counter to that is, 
I think, an interesting debate because there's all arguments about people not seeking help when they need to, especially they talk about, you know, depressed suicidal males and things like this or, or people with injuries or, or normally men, isn't it, not going to the doctors or something like this because <laughs> they're a bit useless like that. And obviously that's not what I'm saying. That's the opposite end of the spectrum. That's a problem to the other end of the scale. To ignore something and not seek help is as bad as making something 100% your identity. And I've seen people fall foul of both ends of the spectrum. And I see my role as a, as a, a therapist, not really a therapist, a therapeutic teacher. I don't know what you call it. It's just a human being. There you go. I see kind of my role when people talk to me and if they're seeking my assistance or I'm working with them to get them to, to get past these things, if I want to help them create their scars, you know, out of their wounds, then I need to look and see which end of the spectrum are they on. If at all, maybe they're not, maybe they're dealing with it well. Um, you know, there's always many people that are courageously dealing with very, very difficult things, of course, and that's very admirable. But if there's people at one end of the spectrum blocking something out, ignoring it, repressing it, that's not good. But then at the other side of the spectrum, if there's people turning it into their identity, a part of my role is to point this out and try to, not in a harsh way, definitely not, because we've all been there different times, but to kindly kind of try to assist them to see that as well as healing the physical body, we also have to get your mind to accept that it's time to move on. It's time to move beyond this condition if possible. I think it like, on a final note, I said I wouldn't talk too long, you know, this is, really is my advice, that intent. I think people should sit with this and just check, just double check that you're not doing something to reinforce it. Because it's equivalent of like trying to take off in a hot air balloon, but then piling loads of weights and anchors into the balloon to hold it down. It, you, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot, you know, and, and you don't want to be doing that because that's not helpful because I'm sure your conscious mind wants to move past your predicament even if your unconscious mind doesn't so therefore we have to make sure these tricks aren't being played on us by ourselves sort of munchausen's by proxy isn't it or munchausen's applied upon ourselves, isn't it that we're trying to get past yeah so on a final note i think it's interesting that there's that whole kind of um culture war going on at the moment isn't there or that's what they call it it's not really a war is it there's more serious wars going on in the world perhaps or or at least more visceral or or physical wars going on, but they call it the culture war, which is this kind of argument between, well, many things, but on one level, the kind of, I guess they call it, I don't know what you would call it. I'm going to put it under the category of woke, but I'm very aware that's a different thing, but I'm sure that people listening to this will kind of know what I mean. This kind of attitude of, that's very much about sort of coming up of everybody's, I'm trying to word it carefully so that I don't misrepresent this hmm. word this carefully well let's do the opposite side the opposite side is very much the sort of anti this side is that everybody should just toughen up and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and and be a man in the case of males and things like this and and just sort of you know soldier on and walk it off and don't be a pussy and then the other side of course which would be very extreme but the other side of this is that you know we should talk about all our illnesses all the time and get it out and it's a part of you and we've got to talk through these things and you should be sensitive and you should be very emotionally engaged with what's going on and it's okay to cry all the time and things like this and i think that there's valid arguments for both i don't think anyone should be completely switched off from how they feel definitely not 
But I think that amongst the side that are very much about toughening up, they don't even know why. I think I see this kind of vitriol between the two groups, groups between the sort of woke and the anti-woke, if you like, or the sort of soft and effeminate and, and tough and masculine, especially amongst males, of course. I see this kind of vitriol from one side to the other. And I think with regards to personal weakness and, and injuries, I think a little bit more understanding from both groups would go, would would be good. But I think that from the sort of the group view that thinks you should just toughen up and get on with stuff and don't be weak, I think the vitriol and the anger they feel toward it, I think is directed at the people in the other group quite often, the people they perceive as weak. But I think it's not really about that. I see it in sort of groups and I see it in social groups when someone starts to talk about their illness or their weakness or something, how some people would just sort of get very sort of angry on the attack at them. And I think actually that most people are caring. And I think the real, real reason is, I think the vast majority of people are very caring no matter how they act. And I think that the real reason is that inside their mind, the people on the attack kind of know, I think they subconsciously know that what that person is allowing them to do by just sort of self-identifying with this weakness or self-identifying with this problem all the time is I think they know that they're kind of crippling themselves. So I think it's a kind of <laughs> almost like a, it's like they want to help but they don't know how so it turns into anger which is a very um, tough guy thing to do isn't it? You don't really understand what you feel, you don't know what's upsetting, you don't know what your emotions are so you just get angry. I think that's a sort of a normal conversion, isn't it? What would you call that? Like a, a redirection, isn't it, of your, of your own feeling of frustration on the inside. And I think a lot of this argument from groups to groups are, are about this. And I think it becomes relevant, that kind of thing. I think it's interesting it's happening in culture, but I think on an individual level, I think it's relevant if you're, not some, if you're somebody that doesn't suffer, you're not someone that has these injuries, or maybe you're someone who has overcome these injuries and you've got the scars and you've, you've, you've developed and you've got that strength, you learned the lessons from them. I think it's important not to be overly critical or mean on people if you see them kind of on the opposite end of the scale and, and they look like they're wallowing or getting caught up in the self-identification because that's not going to help anybody and you're not really angry at them. I think you're usually frustrated because you can't help them. And I think it's because subconsciously people understand that all of, like an overwallowing in the emotional state, an overwallowing in the, in, the, in the suffering, an overwallowing in the things that life has thrown upon you that have caused you to be marginalized in some way makes it impossible to move, for you to move beyond that condition or, or beyond that situation. You won't be able to because you've been constantly focused on that problem, if you're focused on that issue, if you're focused on that thing that's holding you back to the point that you identify with it, you make it a sort of personal cause for yourself, then you can't move past it because you're keeping that wound open, keeping that wound open. I think that if people want to turn something into a cause, better to look to fight the cause for others and a proper cause and make sure that that cause is not something that's self-centered, that's selfish for you or something that you feel is a, you know, an injustice that you personally have felt. <laughs> it's just my view. It's like uh, in my life, you know, I know that some people, um, I know some people listening to me, especially if they're not familiar with English accents, if, if they're from another country, um, have incorrectly assumed, because I know that that's what they write, that I come from a wealthy or comfortable background. 
um, which is quite far from the truth. And in actual fact, um, the life I've led has meant that several times in my life I have been in marginalised groups, that's fair to say, or been in difficult positions, obviously not because of my race, but for other reasons. And I've had to overcome quite a lot of socio-political, personal hurdles myself, I guess maybe you would call them. But I kind of knew that I didn't want to turn anything that was going on to me into a sort of angry cause. I didn't want to be that person because I was aware that it, I didn't want to resent people that were not like me because that's not, you know, or people, I didn't want to resent people that I perceived to be in a better position. That wasn't somebody I wanted to be. That didn't feel healthy for me. It felt like a, you know, like a, as Buddha said, isn't it, uh, drinking poison to kill your enemy or something like this, you know. <laughs> so I didn't want to be that person. So generally what I would do is just accept my position in life. I always did. I tried to change it, of course, but I accept that it is what it is. But instead I tried to help or assist others. So I helped, tried to help or assist others in their situation with regards to their frailties or their injuries or their illnesses or problems in their life. And by sort of doing that, it took the awareness away from myself. And then what I found is that basically my life situation just naturally evolved out of that position anyway. I'm not saying that that's a, a guaranteed for everybody, but I don't think it's a bad rule to try to step out of the view of the self and, and maybe try to do some good for the people around you. So, maybe a bit of a nonsensical one, it's late at night, <laughs> sat here on my own pontificating, but my main point all out of all of this is that my advice to many people is, well, first of all, I'm very sorry that many people are suffering out there because the stats show that people aren't very happy and the stats show that people aren't very healthy these days, which is not something that's good, is it? It's not something that's great. Definitely not. I feel very bad for people on that level. But, uh, just to make sure that do everything you possibly can, seek out all the therapies you can, whatever is required, do what is needed, look after your bodies, look after your mind. But once you've done all the things you need to do, then just get on with your day, get on with your life until the next time there is something you can do. And just make sure that you're not turning it into your story that you're telling people all the time, because otherwise you're just going to anchor that illness, anchor that problem, anchor that injury into who you are, like I say, and once it's part of your story, it's very hard to shake. That wound won't turn into a scar. So, <laughs> in some ways this is probably an unwise thing to say in public, um, because I know that talking about other people's injuries or other people's sicknesses or other people's viewpoints and, and their frailties can be a very loaded topic, but um, yeah. This is my personal advice.